Hello and welcome to Nightlight. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses is speaking to Israel. And he says, All of you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive this day. I have taught you decrees and laws which the Lord instructed me to teach you so that you may obey them in the land you are entering to possess. Observe them carefully, for they are your wisdom and your understanding, which will cause the nations around you to say, This is a wise and understanding people. For what nation has its gods so near to them as the Lord your God is to you when you pray to him? I want to talk uh, in the time that we've got together today about what I believe the Holy Spirit is doing in us as a church, as the church. You know, uh, it's a it's a redundant and boring topic to start talking about all that the church fails to do. We all know that. We've all been part of that. We've all been hurt by that. We've all contributed to that to some degree. Uh, to lament over and over the failures of the Western church uh, it reaches a point where, you know, it's it's like an alarm clock that's still ringing hours after you're wide awake. It, what is next? You know, let, let's don't spend any more time talking about what has passed. What are we facing and what is the Holy Spirit saying to us now in preparation for where we're headed? This is true for congregations. It's true for individuals. Um, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 5. Uh, I want to talk just for a moment about the fact that the scriptures promise that the righteous will understand the times they live in. They won't be confused. They won't be in the dark. I have heard myself say to myself and to the Lord and to Mary and to whoever else I can get to listen, I just don't know where we are, don't know what we're supposed to do. And that's okay for a, a, a brief moment of time to be uh, not quite aware of what's going on and where to get our, our new bearings. But uh, I believe that we are getting those new bearings and we need to begin to embrace the next level of marching orders. So let me give you some scriptural background to support the fact that according to the scriptures, the righteous will understand their times. They won't be befuddled. And there's no reason for us to stay befuddled if we feel that we have been. Proverbs 28.5 says, Evil men do not understand judgment. That word could be translated also justice. But those who seek the Lord will understand it completely. Evil men do not understand judgment. But those who seek the Lord will understand it completely. Not only does that refer to the just judgments of God through his, through, through his word, how to live, how to, how to equitably and integrously live your life, but it also refers to the just judgment of God in the earth when God begins to move to bring corrective judgment uh, 
on on nations or in given situations. Isaiah 26 verse 9 says, My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning my spirit longs for you. When your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the earth learn righteousness. Again, same principle. Both the texts of Torah teach us righteousness and the acts of God that bring correction and uh, uh, rebuke also bring uh, learning righteousness. And my soul yearns for you in the night, in, in the times of darkness, in the times when we feel befuddled. There's, you know, Oswald Chambers says, when God has put you in the dark and you can't see him, uh, that's one of the most rich times of your spiritual development. You know, you're never left totally on your own. God's never hiding from you. He's never playing games. There's always a reason for uh, the silence of God and the hiddenness of God. It's always a, a, a rich silence and a meaningful hiddenness that produces great fruit eventually. Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, None of the wicked will understand, but the wise will understand. 1 Thessalonians 5, the entire chapter, you need to review the entire chapter pretty regularly, but Paul says, you are not in the darkness, that that day should surprise you or overtake you. 1 John five nineteen, the Son of God has come and given us an understanding. And John sixteen thirteen, he said to us, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will show you things to come. So there's, there's really no excuse for us to stay befuddled or to feel ignorant. I mean, it's, it's right to feel small and dependent and uh, keep our, ourselves uh, focused on the fact that we don't know everything and we haven't got it all figured out. That's, that's one thing. But that's not the same thing as, as uh, just living in a, a sense of wondering what's going to happen next and uh, hoping someone can tell us and putting ourselves in, therefore, in the hands of uh, the world, the flesh, and even the devil to misguide and uh, deceive us. No, we are the people that God has given the light to, and we are the people that God has called to be the light. Now, Lord knows, uh, you know, you know, we've uh, we failed to to fulfill that calling, but God, in His mercy, has shaken and is shaking, and will continue to shake the Western culture that has seduced us until we are completely unseduced and unseducible by it. That's going on in people's private lives, and it's going on uh, in, in Christian culture in many ways. I mean, you may not see it uh, quite yet on the level that I've been able to observe it, but uh, you'll begin to see an emerging body of believers uh, who have really laid aside a lot of uh, foolishness that we had 
deceived ourselves into thinking was just, it was okay. It wasn't sin, so it's kind of okay. Well, you know what? Now it's becoming sin. I mean, you know, things may not be sin for you at a certain time in your life. And then once God gives you no, more light, those things that hindered that light do become sin. They, they do become hindrances to righteousness and opposition to the purposes of God. So if you're going through a shaking in your private life where lots of things that you used to enjoy and, and just assumed were the blessing of God, now you're finding that they're, they're hindrances and, and you're even feeling convicted about them. Blessed are you. That's a good thing. Now, I want to talk just for a moment about the purpose of national identity. Now we know that we're not to be people in the dark. We're not to be befuddled. We're not to walk around like the rest of the world, wondering what's going on. So what's happening with the nations? What's happening with our nation, your nation, whichever nation you live in? What, what's happening? Nothing is just topsy-turvy uh, craziness. Uh, God's, God's providential sovereign hand is ruling the passing of time and the movement of history, guiding the nations toward the direction he intends. I did not say God is the author of evil or that God is the perpetrator of any evil activity. Not at all, and to say he is is blasphemy. But he is sovereignly working out all things according to his own ultimate will and for his own purposes, and he's working them out for your good and his glory, because all things work together to eventually manifest the goodness that he intends for his people and for the universe. In Acts chapter 17, verse 24 through 28, Paul is speaking to the Athenians, and he says, The God who made the world and all that is in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by men's hands as though he needed anything since it is he alone who gives life to all. And he made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the whole earth, and he determined the times beforehand and appointed the boundaries of the nation's borders in order that, hopefully, men might seek after him and find him though he is not far from every one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. It takes more time in a direction that I don't want to go to explain what the connection is between the establishing of separate nations as a means of those nations seeking God, but it has to do with the Tower of Babel. The dividing of the nations was for the salvation of the nations, um, they were in one accord under the direction of Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. Nimrod is uh, a devil. Uh, he's a prototype of the Antichrist. And uh, he's leading them into one world, the one world culture that you see uh, he, he mentions there in, in Genesis. Uh, again, we don't have time to go into it. 
He said, let us build a tower, let us make a name for ourselves, let us exalt it to the stars of heaven so that we are not divided. He's saying, let us be secular, let us be occult, let us be uh, one world humanists, and let us worship the principalities and powers of uh, of the second heaven. Uh, that plan is exactly still in place, and it is behind all that we're going to deal with in this present generation. Secularism, one-worldism, occultism, humanism, uh, all that's behind the present political morass. Now, uh, Isaiah 40, verse 15 through 17 All nations before him are as nothing. You ought to take some time to just meditate on that whole section, Isaiah 40, verses 15 through 17. The nations before him are as like a drop in a bucket. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, all the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of the earth. And no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what are you doing? very important that you don't have the idea that God is in some kind of tug of war with powers of darkness. Now, having said that, it's just as wrong to, to believe that the devil is God's lapdog who does all the evil in the world that God really wants done. So, I mean, that's just such a ridiculous idea. Uh, it's kind of like the Godfather who hires the hitman the hitman does the killing, and the godfather is the power behind the killer. But the hitman is the, the guilty one, and the godfather is not guilty. God, God doesn't. God didn't create the devil so he would have a secondary being that could do evil, because God really is evil, and he wants to to perform evil, but he doesn't want to be labeled evil. So he he raised up the devil to do it. That's that's blasphemy. So, uh, whatever is going on in the warfare of the, of the of the universe, it is a real war, but it's not a real war between two opposing forces in a tug of war. God is sovereign over it and will cause it to bring about the fulfillment of His good purposes, which will glorify His name and bless and and bring life to the universe while at the same time destroying evil. So, no, the devil is not equal to God, not by a long shot, but God does give him a freedom and gives mankind a freedom to cooperate with evil for a time, and yet even while he gives them the freedom to do it, his heart is grieved over the evil men choose, and God's heart is uh, angry over the wickedness of the principalities and powers that manipulate the universe. And uh, if those human beings continue to choose evil and embrace evil, they will become so identified with evil that they end up in the same hell as the fallen angels. But uh, my point is to, to try to help us understand that everything that's happening in the nations right now uh, is is not uh, it's not just up for grabs. It's not random craziness. The forces are being set in motion. 
Yeah, you know, this 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 has to do with just such a terrible lack of education in our educational system. Very few people, even my age uh, and and older, have an understanding of of, of history and a, an understanding of the the movements of the nations. Uh, World War One, the map of Europe totally changed. Uh, World War II was a continuation of World War I, and it changed the map again. Now we are in a process of the map be, uh, about to be changed again. Uh, all of this is by the wicked manipulations of men under Satan's guidance, the same spirit that inspired the Tower of Babel. But then over that is the sovereign mind and purpose of God, which says do what you will, be as evil as you want to be, you'll inadvertently end up fulfilling my purpose. Like C.S. Lewis said, if you'll not be God's son, you will be God's tool. So, Jeremiah 10, verse 7, Whom shall not fear you, O king of nations? I love that phrase. I, I try to remember that phrase when I'm tempted to rant and rave and get angry at the news and angry at whatever's going on in this nation or other nations. Now just stop and look up and say out loud, whom shall not fear you, O king of nations? Well, Psalm 2, the rage of the nations. God has sovereignly divided the nations and set the nations in place. God has told his people, that we will have an understanding of what's going on, that we will not be in the dark. The nations will go into a rage as we approach the close of the age. Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations so furiously rage together? Why do the people imagine a, a vain, foolish, empty-headed thing? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Messiah, saying, let us break his bands asunder. Let us cast away their cords from us. Throw God out. Throw God's yoke off and be our own God. That's where we are now. Psalm 82. God stands in the congregation of the mighty and judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked why have you not defended the poor and the fatherless? Why do you not do justice to the afflicted and the needy? Why have you not delivered the helpless out of the hand of the wicked? They do not know. They do not understand. They walk on in darkness, and all the foundations of the earth are out of course. And God said, I have said to you, you are gods, but you shall die like mortals and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O Lord, and judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. At some point, according to Psalm 82, God had entrusted certain of the nations to be guided and, and uh, overseen by principalities and powers who chose satanic res responses instead of obeying God and uh, perpetrated cultures that worshipped them instead of God, that sacrificed to them 
instead of worshiping the living God that propagated evil upon evil upon evil. That's a whole study in itself. It's not my purpose to get into it. I just want to give you a scriptural overview of some of these principles. So God is guiding the nations. He would have guided the nations to, to peace and redemption and salvation. When he chose Israel, he chose Israel to be what? A light to the Gentiles. Israel was chosen that they might reach the rest of the nations. It wasn't that Israel was chosen because they were better than the nations, or Israel was chosen because God loved them and didn't love the rest of the nations. It's that he chose Israel, not because Israel deserved it, but just by God's sovereign grace he chose Israel, so that then through Israel the light would go to the rest of the nations. Instead, Israel wrapped itself up in its own identity and withheld that light from the nations, and then their own light began to go out, and the nations continued to disintegrate and move toward darkness. So Isaiah 59 says, the Lord looked to see if there was anyone who interceded, anyone who cared, and he was appalled. If you can imagine Yahweh being appalled, it says he was appalled that there was no intercessor. So his own arm did the act of saving. He came himself, and uh, he became the light of the world, raised up his church to then take his place as being the light of the world. And he's still waiting for us to shine the light, and that's what all this shaking is about, so that we'll finally get back to what we were originally called to do and be, instead of our life being the center issue and the shining of the light of the gospel being something we do as a hobby. We take the gospel as the central issue of our life, and uh, everything else becomes secondary to that. And that's what God's doing among us. That's how he's, he's, he's preparing us. Isaiah 24, verses 20 through 22 says, The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, because of the transgression of its inhabitants will be so heavy upon it that it can't stand. And in that day the Lord shall punish the host of high ones that are in the heavenlies and the kings of the earth that are upon the earth, and they shall be gathered together. God will eventually punish the principalities and powers that he's speaking to in in Psalm 82. I know some some commentators will tell you that Psalm 82 is God speaking to the human judges of Israel. And that that's partially true, but it's not it's not a complete picture. Uh, it's, it's one of those prophetic uh, telescope images that has um, an immediate earthly uh, application, but then a, a much more cosmic one beyond it, like Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, referring to Lucifer and uh, the anointed cherub that covered the throne of God, uh, Satan, as he became Satan. Now, uh, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 28 says that God is going to sift the nations, sift the nations. That word sift there in Hebrew, cause to move shake out of their former place. He will begin to shift the nations and sift the nations. That's what I was referring to in, in uh, World War I, then again in World War II. The, 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 the sifting of the nations has begun. Uh, where is he going to gather them? He says, I'm going to gather the nations. Well, Revelation 16, verses 
13 through 16, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. These are the spirits of devils working miracles who go forth to the kings of the earth and of the whole world in order to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. All these shakings and movements of the nations of the, over the last hundred years uh, has been to move us in position for God to bring about the judgment of the nations, the restoration of Israel and the keeping of his promise to Abraham, and the establishment of his kingdom on the earth. Joel 3, verses 1 through 3 says, In those days, at the time when I shall restore Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, that's Armageddon, and will enter into judgment against them there. For they have scattered my people Israel, and they have divided my land. Drop down to verse 9 through 16. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Assemble yourselves and come, all you heathen, to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come quickly, for the press is full. The vats overflow, for the wickedness of the earth is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord shall be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So, this is what God is doing. Shaking the nations, sifting the nations. I always think when I hear that word sift, especially in reference to God sifting the nations, as uh, the second verse of the Battle Hymn of the Republic, which was written at a time of such agony in America because of America's sin of slavery. Uh, He is sounding forth the trumpet that shall never sound retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. You know, sometimes we get so uh, end times oriented. We get so uh, eschatologically focused, get so focused on the end of the age and the return of the Lord that we don't recognize that there are uh, intermediate judgments of nations, that our nation could be under a judgment that does not portend the immediate end of the world, but we're all pretty parochial in our thinking on those subjects. We're no different than the apostles who heard Jesus say not one stone would be left on top of another one of the temple that wouldn't be torn down. And then he walked away toward the Mount of Olives and they followed him very disturbed, thinking he's just told them about the end of the world. No, he told them about the end of the temple. But to them, the end of the temple had to be the end of the world. And so many Americans think, uh, that way too. Surely, uh, when you talk about the close of the age, you're, you're talking about the end of America, you're, you're talking about the same subject. But I got 
I got news for us. I don't think it's news to you. I think you all know this, that the close of the age and the end of America may not be the same event, that uh, God is the one who decides the fate of nations. Now, uh, having said that, I want to jump ahead and just tell you before I get to that part of this outline that my intention before we finish this time today, and I I don't know that I can finish it today, it may bleed over into our next hour, but uh, I don't believe these things are set in cement. I I don't believe that they are uh, all sketched out and, and, uh, and, and settled. I believe that according to Scripture and according to the flow of history, there are changes that can occur that caused God to change what he was going to do in reference to a nation. And uh, I don't believe that uh, where we are in America and in the West is set in cement. You know, I know that some of the Bible teachers that I listen to, and I respect them, I'm not saying this at all to condescend, I I listen to a lot of people because they know more than I do. And, and, uh, Every one of them has something to say that I need to hear. It may not fit my particular scheme of how I think things are going, but uh, I, I still am, am helped by it. And uh, it helps, it, even if I don't agree with it, it, it makes me think in, in ways that I'm, I don't necessarily always think. You know, I've told people, if I people ask me, you know, if I've got a series on the book of Revelation or a series on prophecy well if i did it would have an expiration date on it it, it would probably only be <laughs> it'd say this tape series only good for 30 days because usually about 30 days later i'm i'm hearing something or reading something that's altering my opinion on certain things uh, you might say well clay that's just because you're double-minded and not not doing your homework well i've been studying this stuff for 40 years and I find that the people that study it the most are the ones that are most flexible about what they what they view. Uh, some of the dogmatists of the last 30 or 40 years that just absolutely said it's going to happen this way, this way, this way, and if you say anything different, you're a heretic. I'm noticing even they are softening a good bit because uh, their own charts have had to be altered so many times. You know, it's bad when you get charts out there and books printed like uh, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return by 1988. That book sold real cheap by 1989. Anyhow, uh, what's the purpose of America? Now, some some people ask me questions uh, that I, I, I think I make people mad on both sides of the question. I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm just trying to tell the truth. You know, some people say, you know, this this Christian idea that America is a Christian nation and was established with Christian principles is uh, propaganda from from the right. And then people on the right say we are a Christian nation and we're being uh, disenfranchised of our true heritage by those on the left. And the, the fact is, from all I can see in history, there were two nations 
born at the beginning of this nation. There were there were two trees planted, so to speak. It's like there were two trees in the garden: the garden of the tr- the, the, the the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Both trees were planted by God. God is not the author of evil, but he did plant the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the the Yitzhar Hara and the Yitzhar Tov. Uh, Yitzhar Hara, uh, evil, Yitzhar Tov, good. And uh, he did it in order for man to be able to choose, because without the power to choose, he cannot become and without two things to choose between, he can't choose. And so I, th- I believe the same thing happened at the beginning of this nation. I, it's obvious because both trees are now coming to fruition. And the tree that has become the left, or whatever terminology you want to use, the, the tree that was rooted in French uh, enlightenment the tree that would have been more related to the French Revolution and its horrendous outcome has finally manifested in the Democratic Party the Democratic Party of America now is the party of radical leftist antichrist anti-god anti-family anti-everything that is precious and good in the earth And the reason for that is that without God, all you have left is your own devices, and the only heaven you'll ever know is heaven on earth. So they must make everybody obey their plan for utopia to be uh, created on earth. And of course, uh, the... You know, you only enjoy utopia for a little while because uh, the same people that like to kill babies are enjoying now killing older people. So uh, they're chopping it off at the beginning and now they're chopping it off at the end, which leaves very little for a leftist utopian to enjoy in the middle. That's why he's so miserable and grouchy all the time. Uh, People on the left are never happy uh, unless they're high or fornicating or helping somebody else get high or fornicate. Because that's all there is. Uh, So, you know, eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow we die. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could say, but those on the right are loving and godly and integrous and industrious and faithful to God, but that's that's not it either. Uh, to quote William Butler Yeats's uh, poem, where he said, uh, "The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity." Uh, how is it that uh, the Democratic Party seems to always act in most, mostly in, in unity? They, they're in total agreement in all the evils that they seek to perpetrate. And if they do disagree, they don't do it publicly. They, they circle their wagons and uh, protect the, uh, each other from, uh, from just deserts of uh, their crookedness. While the Republicans just dilly-dally and dwaddle and make a lot of 
false promises, but behind closed doors don't seem to be much different than the Democrats, with a few godly exceptions. Uh, The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. I believe God planted the two trees in America so that evil would be given its opportunity. And righteousness would be given its opportunity. And what you end up with is uh, a nation of intensely committed leftist evil versus a nation of self-satisfied, materialistic, entertainment-soaked, shallow, religious, right-wing Americanism. And so it's no great wonder why the conflict uh, reached the point that it reached. I mean, some people, some commentators say, well, you know, those uh, those on the right are patient and uh, we, we will put up with a lot of stuff for a long time. But, you know, you push hard enough, long enough, and you'll eventually get a proper response. Well, I haven't seen it yet. Haven't seen it yet. Uh, it, it's only true uh, where people are not uh, awakening to the left or to the right, but they're looking straight up to God. Wherever people are looking up to God and seeking his face, there is a slow, burgeoning um, move of reality that has the capacity to manifest uh, a strength that has the power to sh- to push back the, this flood of evil. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against it. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. But you see, we haven't been, for lack of a better phrase, I'll say on the, those on the right. I don't consider myself a Republican. I don't consider myself on the right. Uh, uh, I, I, the left and right juxtaposition doesn't fit who I really am. But that's too much to get into right now. Um, but the, uh, the, the, the response to evil in many ways over the last 30 or 40 years from those on the right has been political. It's been, uh, get those perverts out of our schools. Get those, uh, get those drug heads out of our parks. Get those, whatever it is, out of our white picket fence churchyard and put the fence back up and, and bolt it and lock it from the inside. We, we didn't become salt and light to them, those in darkness. We did not enlighten those eaten up with rot. We did not help to rescue and preserve. We moved out of the inner city into the suburbs to get away from the problem people Jesus had sent us to reach. And so we, uh, we have helped create the current climate that has produced the culture war. Um, and I'll have more to say about that later, not in this hour, but I, I'm, I'm going to be addressing that much more, especially concerning the homosexual issue and the recent demise of Exodus International. But I'll just mention that now, and we'll get into it more, I hope, 
in later discussions, it is the church's fault that much of this uh, conflict has erupted. So God is sifting those who claim to be his, and uh, he's allowing the evil to just burgeon. I mean, he's allowing it to grow out outside of any bounds we've ever experienced before. Blasphemy is getting more blatant. Uh, billboard signs and advertising programs celebrating uh, everything in opposition to Christ and even naming him as the one they oppose on lots of different levels. Comedians more blasphemous than ever. Uh, actually, I heard one comedian actually doing a, a it wasn't even fun. Of course, it's not even witty. It's not even funny. It's just mindless, blatant, demonic stuff, but making fun of the blood of Jesus. It's unbelievable. Well, God is sifting the nations. Uh, he's sifting all the nations, but he's sifting America and the West. I include Great Britain in that and Germany in that. Uh, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach, an embarrassment, a disgrace to any people. Psalm 144, verses 12 through 15, speaking of the, the righteousness of a nation, a nation that is happy. Uh, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. It says that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth. Or in other words, may our sons mature quickly into godly manhood. That our daughters would be cornerstones polished as in a palace. In other words, treated like treasure and protected and uh, made uh, kept kept uh, in, in a proper position in relationship to God and and to men that our garners may be full affording all kinds of various produce that our sheep would be abundant that our oxen would be strong to labor which speaks of economic prosperity and ingenuity that our city walls would have no breach no invaders coming in and no refugees going out. And no protests or violence in our streets. Happy is such a people in such a condition. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Well, that's who we were to some degree. No, you'll never find a time in American history when we were 100% that. There has always been the growth of both trees. There, there have always been the, the presence of, of the anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-family, anti-Scripture. That's always been there. Been there on purpose. See, it's the people of God that I'm addressing this to. I'm not addressing this to the pagans. I'm addressing it to us. Because, see, it's always worse for a people who forget than for those who never knew. God said to Israel, uh, maybe eight or ten times in two or three chapters of Deuteronomy, between chapter 8 and chapter 12, when you come into the land and you begin to prosper and you no longer have to fight for every inch of ground uh, and you've defeated the giants, remember, be careful that you don't forget. Be sure to remember the Lord your God, who gives you the power to get wealth in order that he might establish his covenant 
don't forget, remember, remember, don't forget. He says it over and over. But, of course, they forgot. And so the book of Judges becomes the history of Israel after they forgot, a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the book of Judges, as uh, I've been told repeatedly by some of my students, if Judges was made into a movie, it would be rated X, just from the violence. That's what happens when men turn from God and do what's right in their own eyes. They no longer are a wise and understanding people. Uh, that Moses refers to in Deuteronomy 4. Just like the church, we're not a wise and understanding people in the eyes of the nations around us, the pagans around us. We can't keep our marriages together. Our children are battling the same addictive uh, brokenness as pagans. We, we, we watch the same filthy programs. We tell the same dirty jokes. We, we boogie to the same uh, shake-your-backside music. Uh, we... We're no different. And, and you know, uh, cosmetic outward behavior that appears religious is certainly not what I'm referring to. I'm not referring to cosmetic religiosity. Uh, I'm talking about real wisdom, real wisdom. Now, of course, part of the church is walking in that. I mean, my goodness, of course they are. And there's more and more and more of us. That's the good news. That's what I'm trying to tell you. There's more and more. And I'll tell you what else. Not only are there more and more people coming into their true inheritance as a wise and holy and godly people, but they seem to be learning things in a matter of weeks that took me years to learn. And I'm, I'm seeing it in so many examples. I won't try to delineate any of them, but... Uh, People are learning things super fast, and it's just true across the board. And I hear it from some of you telling me the same experience that you're having with, with younger disciples. Or, um, and it doesn't matter if they're young people or just young believers. They might be in their 60s, young believers, but uh, uh, in their 60s, they're, they're, they're growing just as fast. Now, Psalm 9 goes even further. Psalm 9, verse 17 says, uh, you know, we quoted Proverbs 14, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach. But Psalm 9 says, verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. That's not just a reproach. The church has been a reproach in America uh, for decades. But now, the wicked are turning into hell. And all nations that forget God going right into the same hell. It's becoming hell. And, uh, oh, it might not be hell out your window. See, that's the problem. You look out your window and kids are playing. I mean, right now, it's beautiful out my window. Kids are playing in the backyard and people are riding bicycles and it all looks like a normal Saturday in early summer, but I don't look out the window to find out what's really happening. Now, wicked being turned into hell and all nations that forget God, that's not God throwing a temper tantrum and saying, I'm going to make you pay. That's not what he's saying. This is not a threat. This is a description of fact. This is 
what happens automatically once God is removed from a people and they begin to do what's right in their own eyes. Jeremiah 18, verses 9 and 10. You ought to read that whole chapter of Jeremiah, really, to get the full weight of this. But he says, At any given time I may speak concerning a nation that I desire to build it and to plant it. But if that nation chooses evil in my sight and refuses to obey my voice, then I will repent of the good which I was set to do for that nation. Along with Jeremiah 18, read Ezekiel 18, verses 23 through 32, where he speaks there of the individual, but he's also referring to the whole nation when he says, uh, the soul that sins, it will die. Uh, And he says, why will you die? Why Why do you choose death? I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But he says, if a righteous man decides to turn away from his righteousness and practice wickedness, his wickedness will destroy him with no memory of the righteousness that he did. But the good news of that is, God says, if the wickedness is turned away from and and they choose good, I will will count them as, as if they had never done that wickedness. What a what an amazing heart that God has. Anyway, Psalm 11, verse 3 says, When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's the question people are asking right now. Because I think people are are really beginning to awaken to the fact, and some of you who listen to this message outside the United States maybe are not aware of this unless you're really focused on the details. But uh, it's pretty obvious that the mechanisms that have kept this nation free have all broken. Uh, uh, the, the judiciary cannot correct the uh, legislative or the um, executive branches because now we have uh, increasing evidence of the judiciary with a gun to its head. Uh, elections are rigged. We're pretty close to the banana republic level of election uh, crookedness. And uh, much closer to it than any American wants to admit. And I understand why people keep wanting to whistle in the dark and they don't want to hear the facts. That's just human nature and it's been proven to be present in every disintegrating nation. Uh, and we don't learn from history at all. We We just keep doing the same things and saying the same things. But the fact is, Obama is a thug who runs a uh, uh, a crime syndicate uh, from the White House, and there is no capacity to reel him in, correct him, or bring him to justice because the Justice Department, which is under his executive control, are equally thugs and crooks. Uh, and we don't know how much blackmail is being held over members of Congress because uh, George Bush, not Obama, George Bush started uh, getting information on people uh, on a level that was unprecedented since uh, FDR and even exceeded FDR. Only it, it only exceeded FDR because FDR didn't have the 
technology to do it. If he'd had the technology, he would have certainly done it. But uh, uh, Woodrow Wilson put people in jail who disagreed with him. So this is not, you know, this is not recent. But because of the technology, it has been carried now into a level that makes 1984 look uh, mild. And we have yet to see how far it will go, uh, and we know how far it eventually will go, because uh, uh, we're under God's judgment. But is that irreversible? Is it hopeless? No, I don't think so. Isaiah 58, verses 11 and 12, uh, you have to read the whole chapter in context, but basically it's saying if you repent and turn to me and seek me, truly seek me, I will cause light to arise for you out of obscurity. I will help you see in the dark. Your dark shall be as noonday. And I just spent the whole first 10 minutes of our time together here underscoring the fact that God has said his people will understand. We will understand. We'll have discernment. And being people of understanding doesn't just mean that we sit back like armchair coaches and say, yep, yep, I think I understand this completely. That's not what it means. It means understanding so that you know what you must do, like the tribe of Issachar in First Chronicles, what is it, First Chronicles 12, the, the people of the tribe of Issachar who understood the times in order that they might know what they should do. It's not understanding just so you can have some kind of erudition that makes you smart about a subject. It's understanding that leads to action, fruitful, godly action against evil and for good. The people who know their God, Daniel 11, shall be strong and do. Hebrew says do. Somebody, you know, translators add the word exploits. Be strong and do exploits. Hebrew, Hebrew just says, they who know their God shall be strong and they will do. They will act out of that strength from knowing God. So Isaiah 58 says, uh, I'll cause light to arise for you in darkness and the Lord shall guide you continually and satisfy your soul even in drought. And make your bones healthy. And you will be like a spring of water that never fails to flow. Psalm 1 says, Righteous man or woman is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He brings forth his fruit in his season, and whatever he does will prosper. God's promises are true in the midst of warfare. They're true in the midst of the disintegration of of a culture. Uh, So, you know... It's not hopeless, but I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not hopeless as long as you're not thinking in terms of politically getting America back. I don't want America back. I don't want the stinking America that we were 10 years ago or five years ago. I don't want the America that we are now to continue. Uh, I'm not interested ultimately in America per se anyway because all nations eventually are going to be gathered uh, unto judgment. So uh, the question is, in the midst of this ongoing conflict that, that we're in, 
what is what is our what is our responsibility? What is our uh, what are our options? Well, you have several. As long as you're not being politically motivated to restore a politically pleasing setup that is what got us in this mess we're in now anyway, because as long as we had American culture uh, all mixed up with Christianity, we could uh, think that uh, we were obeying God and fulfilling His will. The Lord's delivering us of that deception. So what, what, what are our options? Well, Psalm 94 to me, is a liturgy of our current situation. This is a prayer we could all pray. And I'm going to read it to you from the message translation here. And uh, He starts off, God, put an end to evil. Avenging God, show your colors. Judge the earth. Take your stand. Throw the book at the arrogant. God, the wicked, get away with murder. That's literal, by the way. How long will you let this go on? They brag and boast and crow about their crimes. They walk all over your people, God. Exploit and abuse your precious people. They take out anyone who gets in their way. That, too, is becoming more literal. If they can't use them, they kill them. They think God isn't looking. The God of Jacob is out to lunch. Well, think again, you idiots. That's the message translation. That wasn't clay. Think again, you idiots, fools. How long before you get smart? Do you think the maker of the ear doesn't hear or the eye shaper doesn't see? Do you think the trainer of the nations doesn't correct? The teacher of Adam doesn't know? God knows all right, knows your stupidity, sees your shallowness. How blessed the man you discipline, God the woman you instruct in your word, providing a circle of quiet within the clamor of evil. I love that. While a jail is being built for the wicked, God will never walk away from his people, never desert his precious people. Rest assured that justice is on the way and every good heart put right. Who stood up for me against the wicked? Who, who took my side against evildoers? Well, if God hadn't been there for me, I never would have made it. The minute I said, I'm slipping, I'm falling, your love, God, took hold and held me fast. When I was upset and beside myself, you calmed me down and cheered me up. Can evil rulers have anything in common with you? Can troublemakers pretend to be on your side? Could you imagine Obama saying to Planned Parenthood, the greatest murder machine of uh, uh, recent history since the Nazis, the greatest killing, baby-killing mechanism uh, on the earth, and Obama closes his message to them by saying, God bless you? Can, can evil rulers pretend to be on your side? They gang up on good people, plot behind uh, their backs, and, and uh, uh, plot against the innocent. But God has become my hideout. God was my high mountain retreat. Then the evil backlashed and boomeranged against them. For their evil ways, he wiped them out. Our God 
cleaned them out for good. I have to read Psalm 94 fairly regularly to keep my perspective. Now, in the few minutes we've got left, and we haven't got very many left, um, I've got to, I'm, I'm just getting to the point where I want to talk about what we must do next. What, what are we to do next? Well, uh, I'll have to close this, this hour by focusing on Psalm 94. Dwell on Psalm 94 for a while. Meditate in it. Do that. You say, I can't do anything. Oh, yes, you can. I, 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 don't have any, I have no political power. You don't want political power. If you had political power, you would think that was effective. You've got power to call on God. And I'll tell you, this, this day we're living in is revealing just how unbelieving God's people are about prayer. When you, say you're, when you hear yourself saying, or you, you hear other people saying, well, all I can do is pray. Think about what you're I've been guilty of it before, but not very often. But once is too much. All I can do, all I can do is lay hands on the altar of the throne of the universe and call upon the creator of heaven and earth before whom principalities and powers tremble and before whom the nations are as a drop in a bucket. That's all I can do. That, that's what I, I mean, that poor little me. That's all I can do. <laughs> 